How do I start? Thanks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little. I am a little awestruck. I really am. No, so no need for us at all. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gargoyle Podcast, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan, aka the Gargoyle, and I'm Eric, aka the Chimerican. And we have us on uh, have with us on this episode three very very special guests to the point where I'm already stumbling over my words. <laughs> <laughs> We have three-fourths of Shockwaves with us. We have Elric Kane, um, Rob Galuzzo, and Rebecca McKendry. Say hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. I, I'm already okay. terrible at the mic. <laughs> Hi. Hello. And I'm Ryan Turek. <laughs> <laughs> For now. P- please just do the interview as Ryan. I kind of want to. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we are super excited to be interviewing y'all, and you just finished your uh, live episode with um, Gary, Je- Sherman. Gary Sherman and Jesper. Yes, I know things. <laughs> uh, so you interview a lot of people, and like we're really excited to be talking to you. Who are some other people that you would be so excited to talk about that you're stumbling over things as much as I am right now? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it'd probably be people we haven't. I mean, the ones I was most excited about, like most. Australia, Larry Cohen, Don Coscarelli, there were two. But I, I think the somebody who could come on who would like flummox me. I think Carpenter would be a really hard one mm-hmm. because a you're awestruck by him because he's like made you know pretty much the best horror films ever made. But he's also a hard interview. He's hard to get things from him. He's can, you know slightly cantankerous. So that would be more pressure. Sometimes when those work, you feel a great sense of accomplishment. With somebody like Larry Cohen, you, you literally ask one question and you've got two hours of solid entertainment coming your way. <laughs> yeah. And get and John Landis, obviously, I missed that one, but that's another uh, type of person. But yeah. I don't know. But what about you guys? Who would who would th- who would make you nervous? I um and this is years ago when I was first starting out at Fangoria they had me um, moderate the Italian horror panel at one of the weekends of horrors and I was on there with Diodato and Argento and um just just some amazing other filmmakers and that one um plus none of them spoke English that well <laughs> yeah that's a different, <laughs> that's a different kind throat. of problem <laughs> yeah and so but just me going up to ask them questions um knowing that they'd been asked about these movies for like thirty years at that point um and then have to go through a translator like I just remember being awestruck that I was in their presence and then um, just fumbling over everything and just trying to not completely geek out and and maintain my cool the whole time but Argento was a big one I had to do the Suspiria 40th anniversary Mm -hmm. thing and I definitely took that's probably the only time I can think of in you know years where I felt actual pressure just on myself where I was just like oh if this is bad all these people have come just for this it's Argento and all these Italian people on stage and then all these people in the audience and so you know you know the movie well and luckily you love it so if you can be true to that and not not bullshit I think that's a big part of what we do is we try to be really like organic and it's very chill environment when people come on our show and so it feels like usually they start to open up and have a good time that seems important meeting um Clive Barker for the first time was another one for me and it wasn't even like an interview I had um we were doing an anniversary cover for Fangoria and I had contacted him um because he was doing our cover artwork and I was coordinating it and even just calling him about the artwork and trying not to be like I have like tattoos of your work like all over my thighs and so yeah trying not to you know go fangirl again it was a little yeah I still get awestruck in him in his presence uh, I really don't get nervous about anybody anymore, and I I don't really know how to explain that. Other, you know, I have a history. I was in a band in my twenties, and the first show I ever did, like I couldn't stop shaking my leg because you're playing live music in front of an audience. And then by the third or fourth gig, you're kind of like, oh, this is just 
you, you kind of block them all out and you're just doing it. And then later on, that led to kind of what we've all done, which is moderate panels at, at conventions. And uh, I, I remember I started with cue card, like, you know, I'd have index cards for these panels, like with everybody's name and like mm-hmm. facts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And just at one convention, I think it might have been a Monster Palooza where I was doing back to back a Phantasm reunion and a Texas Chainsaw Massacre reunion with everybody from both movies. And I just like, I didn't even bother. I was like, you know what? I. I know these movies. I know what I'm talking about. Like I sort of have met everybody. And so for me, it's like, I honestly, I don't get nervous anymore about anybody in terms of our show. Yeah. Carpenter would be tough because I've already met him several times. And every time is, is uh, I get along with his wife very well. (laughs) He, he just could care less. And so you're like, I don't know how to get to this guy at all on any level. So I'd be nervous about him. Um, Just talking about video games. (laughs) Remember when he was at, he came to jump cut the place we had. And you talked basketball with him. We talked basketball, but just in general, he he seemed to open up. I wasn't, it was Heather Wixon was talking to him on stage, but he definitely seemed to open up that night and was way less convincingly. And it was cool to see. It was cool to witness somebody get to talk to Carpenter and not be. I think actually another one might be Friedkin. I think I'd love talking to Friedkin. I think it'd be a great conversation. But there is something kind of dumb. There's certain like alpha people, uh, Tarantino, uh, Friedkin, these people who you know that no matter how you feel you are, once you're in a room with that person, they are going to dominate, and you just have to accept that, and that's what what it's going to be, and it kind of be interesting, I think. But yeah, Sam Raimi's the only one that would make me a little nervous at this yeah. point because I've, I've I've met him once, and it, it was so funny. It was a Spider-Man three premiere in New York that I didn't know was the premiere. I just signed up for tickets because. I, I was a nerd that signed up for like the Spider-Man fan club. When it, <laughs> yeah. first, like, yeah. And so like, where would you like to see the movie? And it's like all five boroughs. And I'm like, well, I got to go to Queens because that's where Peter Parker's from. That was my rationale. Sure. And then me and my friend Mike get there and we, and we realize it's the premiere and that's the one we sign up for. And I'm wearing an Evil Dead 2 t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time I met him, I'm walking up to him like all like, oh, I like your movies, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really good job with the movie. But what was funny was, it also, I learned a lesson to, I'm, a, I'm always honest with my, I think, especially now that we've been in the industry on both sides for so long, is I think it's a little bit easier to be honest uh, with constructive criticism. It's easier to talk to people about the craft and what they're doing and on both ends, like rather than like, oh, the movie sucked and blah, blah, blah. But more like, hey, I really like this aspect of it, but I was curious why you did this because Sam Raimi came up to me and I said, oh, I'm a big fan, blah, blah, blah. And he, I could tell he was unhappy. And he's like, what did you think of the picture? And I'm like, it was great. And he's like, were there too many villains in it? Did it go to, you know, this is Spider-Man 3. He knew there was something wrong with it. And he was trying to get me to say it. And I just was like, no, it was great. I mean, Bruce Campbell was in it. It was great. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, thank you. And so the valuable lesson now is I would have been like, you know what? Yes, Uh, I know you don't like Venom and I don't either. And it shows in the movie. But I think you did a great job with this. So anyway, he's who I'd be nervous for. Again. (laughs) We, we might talk. I, we won't have him on our show, but we're going to Texas Frightmare, and yeah. him and Bruce Campbell will be down there. So I think it's the first time I'll even be in the same vicinity as Sam Raimi because I – oh, no. I did see him and Bruce do a talk for Evil Dead 1 and 2 at Beyond Fest, and it was probably, next to Friedkin and Toby Hooper, probably the best talk I've ever seen. Like they were just – the stories about Evil Dead, and they're, they're just – you could see two 50-year-old men were suddenly 21 again. And it was literally like a time machine, watching two people in conversation, and I loved it. It made me it made me so happy to watch. Yeah, so cool. 
So one of the reasons that I, I just love your all's podcast so much is you have a deep love and appreciation for horror movies. And it seems like horror is very divisive. Like, it seems like most people either absolutely love it and, like, they are diehard fans and, like, those are the best movies ever made – or they think that it's just pure evil and, like, the worst. Like, I remember um, when you went on a little bit of a rant about Instagram and the fact that the hashtag horror is, like, you know, banned. censored. Yeah. yeah, they blocked it completely. So, like, yeah. why do you think horror – why do you think it still has such power in terms of getting people to love it as much as they do and getting people to hate it? Like, it's, it's really hard to find people that just kind of like, eh, you know, it was a horror movie. It was fine. There's been this long-running – theory that um, violence begets violence in any capacity. And I, and I mean, I think that time and time again, I mean, throughout history, we've proven that wrong. I mean, if you look back, I mean, Hamlet is violent as shit. Macbeth is violent as shit. Um, and just as media has progressed, I mean, we see the same kind of thing. Um, the, the If it's violent, you are violent applied to movies and then it was applied to television and then it was applied to video games and it's been applied to music and then we get the whole fucking satanic panic out of it. And even though that that still persists in a lot of different categories, I even saw this morning about how um, it was another uh, killer article who he happened to have some death metal albums and they were immediately like, was this the cause? And that continues to persist over and over. And it probably will. And I think that a lot of that is just people look for answers when there's violence. People look to say, like, what made this person crack? And if he happens to have a copy of Fangoria sitting on his nightstand, it's easy to point and go, oh, well, it was that. Um, but I think that most of the time, at least in my experience, the people who love horror films, that this is their favorite type of movies, they use these as a cathartic moment. Like, this is their release. And, I mean, at least it is for me, like, you know, Know, this is this is what I do to kind of vent myself, um, and and I think that that's where most of us fall. Yeah, I think everybody wants uh, when it comes to real life violence, people need like some sort of explanation. But I remember like Chris Rock did a bit. I think it was when Columbine happened. Where it's like, what were they listening to? What were they watching? He's like, whatever happened to playing crazy? <laughs> <laughs> like, they were just crazy. And I, and I always think of that because it's true. Because the you know you're not made up. I mean, yeah, it's your taste, but you as an individual are a complicated person. You're made up of a lot of different things that you love. And I'm not just a horror guy, but I do get pegged with that a lot. And, you know, I've been talking about it this weekend with filmmakers and people here. It's like, I love music. I love art. I love all kinds of things. But horror is something that, I mean, the three of us seem to be pretty passionate about. It's mm -hmm. it's the, it, it made me understand filmmaking. I didn't like see I didn't walk into the room to Tears of Endearment and know how to make a movie, terms but Terms of Endearment, thank you. No that, that's how much I... Film that yeah, Reynolds didn't do. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I did, when I saw Evil Dead 2, I, it was the first time I understood, like, oh, they, the, ca the camera's going backwards that's how they're getting this the you know the mist to go back into the trees like it's and that's like for horror there there's more i don't know i guess you could see the seams a little bit more and it, it makes it more fascinating interesting but I, you know i've never been a violent person and it's like i think everyone that watches horror and celebrates it it's because we're so um um facing these kind of uh, mortality things that we're a little bit more chill about it, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, you've, it's the cliche, but like the sweetest people we've ever met are some of the directors that have made some of the gnarly shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I also think it comes down to real simple, uh, basically everyone is weird and fucked up and most people uh, deny it. 
and then the people who embrace it or at least acknowledge that about themselves and then they discover horror and feel better or in some ways but people who don't I, I think it's it's a lot more damning it's it's not much different than just pure Freud analysis like those people willing to talk things through are going to be mentally more healthy than those who hold it all in and there is something uh, and the reason I, I, I do pigeon horror in that way is because horror is an exploration of death. Every single horror film, horror comedy, horror series, everything is about death, right, in some way. And a lot of people are in absolute denial that they die. That we don't think consciously about this all the time, but some people, and I'm probably included, I don't want to think about my death, but it's there somewhere in the back. And when you watch people going through all these different variations, there's something playful and there's something, uh, I mean, maybe it's a little more powerful to get to live when you know you are going to die. You're on an expiring contract and you might as well use it, right? And I really think it's a simple as that that some people are in such denial of that they just do not want to believe that they just need to live and they need everything to be happy or cheery or simple thing they can put in a box and that's not for horror fans because i think a lot of horror fans often have had maybe some sort of experience in their youth that have pushed them to discover these things and need them in a different way and, and it could be some relation to death or abuse or uh anything like you know divorce just anything that made them need something and so i, I really think it comes down to like these really basic principles of you know your subconscious and and your desires and I feel like horror has always been at least for me it was and so many people we've talked to have the same kind of origin story with little variations but they they are they are not the person who is super brave I watch horror films and then I can watch anything it's always like I watch horror films and I scared shitless of everything yeah. and I wet my bed and I did this is like yeah I, that, I, I totally relate to that so uh, yeah I think it's a really powerful medium and I think it's it keeps hanging around because it's uh, a powerful I think the studios that's the one thing I would say is the reason our biggest problem with this whole oh it's a thriller it's an elevated whatever I think that's partly because this is the one genre and, and especially when you look back to like Val Luden films or Roger Corman films it's the one thing that they couldn't really control its success it's made for very little money and has a lot of success mm -hmm. and they would rather have corporate entities that cost a lot of money which means only we can do it because no other studio can spend 100 200 on a Marvel movie we can, we're the only ones who can pull that off that means they control the success of movies and I think horror films have never been controlled they've always been the outsider art form mm -hmm. you can make it for a hundred grand and suddenly you could have a hit on your hand you can make Texas fucking Chainsaw Massacre it's like to me that is the that's the only genre that can do that sci-fi doesn't do that anymore you know so and porn doesn't do that anymore so you know so horror is really I think that's why it's not going away it's it's kind of exciting yeah I think my I think my favorite description of horror that I've ever heard and you just kind of remind me of it is uh Joe Hill recently the novelist was talking about uh, I think he was. It was when he was. It might have been at South by Southwest, but he described horror as extreme empathy, and I was mm -hmm. like, I feel like that's the exact opposite of what a lot of people who don't like horror think of it as. And like, I think that's the perfect, most concise way to describe it, and why I love it. I, well, I, I like just, that because like film uh, Ebert called movies the empathy machine. Right. So yeah. this is like a nice extension. So if movies are empathy, then horror is extreme empathy. Yes. I think it's great. I love that so much. Well, and one of the things that I love so much about that is, um, you know, like everyone thinks they can make a horror movie. Like everyone thinks, oh, that's the easiest one to make. Just throw some girls screaming and some blood. But like those are the worst ones. Like it's mm -hmm. the ones that they actually put their heart and their soul, and they are working through something that that I think lead to the best horror movies. Yeah. Um, I think the I think that they're the easiest to make, but they're the hardest to perfect in a right. way. Like and and I, this is coming from someone who's never made a horror movie, but like that's just She's I feel like that's my experience. I mean, <laughs> that's just what I feel like from watching horror films. It seems like. So um, when you were talking about like all of us have a very similar sort of origin story. What is your horror movie baseline? Like, not necessarily the first horror movie that you saw, not the best, not the scariest, but kind of like that one horror movie that you judge all other horror movies against. 
Mine is, um, and I've talked about this a little bit on the show before, um, but mine is definitely Suspiria because that, I mean, I'd always gravitated towards spookier media or or severely fantasy. Like I always wanted it to either be fantasy or sci-fi, um, but horror was definitely my poison of choice. And um, when I was in 10th grade, um, I had the chicken pox really bad. I didn't get them until I was in 10th grade, and I was home for weeks with them um, because they get worse as you get older. And um, my mom rented me, like, every videotape that they had at the store. It was the first time I watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It was the first time I watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it was the first time I watched Suspiria. And that one was, like, transcendent to me because it was the first time and at, at a young age that I consciously remember wanting to be on the other side of the camera that I consciously remember wanting to know how did they do that or why did they put that light there or why did they choose to make it look like this did the wallpaper look like that already or did somebody design it just for the movie Mm -hmm. and that for me was definitely like a transcendent moment Um, and then just the pure terror of it and then I think that the first Hellraiser definitely falls into it because that was one of the first ones where I remember being The movie felt uncontrolled to me. Like it felt like it was just completely off the chain and I had no idea where it was going. And I now seek out that I have no fucking clue what's going on in other films. And that's definitely something that I still strive for. Like I want to feel like I have no idea what's going on, which is completely opposite from my real life, which again goes back (laughs) to the catharsis. In my real life, I want fucking control over everything. I need to know exactly what's going on. I know what we're doing in five minutes. But in my movies, I want the exact opposite because it's where I can experience that safely. For me, uh, well, for me, Psycho is like the perfect movie uh, in general. But my favorite would be uh, that I judge everything on is Evil Dead 2. Just because my favorite horror is horror comedy. Uh, I just have a dark sense of humor and I just love the idea, especially that one, which is basically a Three Stooges episode done horror style which even <laughs> Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell have said but no I mean those those are my favorite types of entertainment because they do deal with what Elric was saying death American World in London for example I mean that's there's some pretty deep dark shit happening there like the idea of your best friend dying coming back to visit you is pretty dark but it's done in such a humorous way that I think it it dampens the blow of, of mm-hmm. dealing with that darkness and so that's always been my favorite is like Horror comedy. So American Marvel London, Shaun of the Dead, uh, you know, most recently One Cut of the Dead is pretty brilliant. I can't wait to see that one. Yeah. So, yeah, that's for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have a baseline. I don't have a consciously, I don't consciously have like a baseline. Or I, I know the first thing I saw was Creepshow, but that just fucked me up. But, uh, you know, The Shining, if there's a subconscious thing, The Shining was the first movie, you know, eight years old on TV, you know, with commercial breaks and everything that like, like every single beat floored me. Every single twist, my jaw dropped. Every there was, you know, it's 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 like as the perfect audience member. Like when Red Rum comes up and my like I'm screaming inside. I didn't scream outside. We're screaming because I got it when the mirror reversed, but I didn't get it before. I got it exactly when the director wanted me to. So it's like first time somebody played me like an instrument, and I loved the feeling of being played, which is interesting. And so even though I wouldn't have consciously compare all my tastes back to The Shining, I guess it makes total sense because I'm interested in art, the intersection of art and horror films, right? Like, I love I love horror comedies. I love everything else too. But I don't love anything as much as I love when a movie has 
an artistic side and as a horror film, the merger of those two things to me feel perfect together. And, and it probably comes back to that one movie, which is, you know, the best, greatest one, of the greatest filmmakers of all time playing with a big train set and, you know, really shaping your expectations. And so that one, I think I, I always come back to. But then, you know, watching Friday 13th movies had an equal impact on me, weirdly enough, like just watching them at this young age and movie after movie, renting one after the other. What is it about those? I still can never articulate what the hell it is. I, I still, if it's on TV, I will keep watching. Watching one, and I'm no longer a 13 year old boy who needs to see a boob, you know. And yet, I I do need Just to one. in this moment. I'm like, I must see the boob. No, but I, I do. You sit there, and you go like, Why am I so drawn to them? Like Nightmare on Elm Street makes sense because it's fantastical, it's fun. Like those movies, I see why they're good movies. Friday 13th, I have no real except for some weird ritual of death. Now, there's something in us that goes, Yeah, no, this is interesting, even though it's not a the storyline. The same part. And when they try to be interesting, like psych telekinetic, it's a little crazier. See, I love seven. It is a fun movie, but it, but it's like so. You know, that's the nice thing about horror fans; they don't tend to be um, too snooty into just one thing. Even the ones who really like Suspiria or Shining also then like some crazy movie with you know a, a, a splatter film. So yeah, it's a funny genre. Yeah, so I feel like uh, in a lot of a lot of cases, the reason why I watch so many horror movies is I'm constantly chasing that high that I felt like as a kid watching a horror movie when you know you're not supposed to be watching this, but you're terrified, but you can't look away. Like, oh. I agree. yeah. Yeah, that's definitely. I think that a lot of us are adrenaline junkies. I definitely would put myself into that category. Yeah, just just a little bit at least. Uh, all right, a couple more questions because I know we don't have a whole lot of time. Um, when you were talking about, you know, like there's there's thrillers, there's elevated horror, and just kind of like trying to apply all these other titles to very obvious horror movies. What about movies that like are very clearly not horror movies? But are totally horror movies. So, for instance, every single Disney movie is a horror movie. Yeah. With all I'll of let the Becca demons take this. and the witches. <laughs> and yeah. let, before, let's we will let her have it. But I will say, she Becca just took uh, me and Rob to Disneyland, and I've been to Disneyland multiple times. But this is the first time I went where I realized everything is fucking terrifying, <laughs> and I don't know why I didn't see it. That maybe it took all three of us being together. But every single ride had a horror element to it. From Toad's Ride to Snow, I mean Snow White obviously is terrifying, but it was just <laughs> it was and it made you realize Disney gets what we're all talking about, which is like to to appreciate the beauty, you got to be scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, there was definitely, um, and I I love Disney, and I have a lot of people ask me about that because that's definitely where my my predilections lie is really graphic, weird horror. And Disney films. Sure. And um, and there's a couple things in between, but not really. It's kind of those two extremes. Um, but yeah, I've always loved Disney, but I love the dark, weird shit that they put into it. Like Alice in Wonderland is totally my jam. And I think that, again, it's feeding that kind of, um, I mean, I see my daughter obsessed with it now, too. Like she loves that that dark edge to Disney. Um, and yeah, when we were there, that's what we discovered. But I also remember a couple of years ago when Frozen came out. Every kid like across the globe was suddenly obsessed with Frozen and Elric and I, because um, our kids are roughly the same age, we were having discussions. Like we always talk about what we watch with our kids. We still do. Or we're like, you seen Wreck-It Ralph? I, I watched it like two days ago. <laughs> um, and then we talk about these movies. But at the time we were talking about Frozen and I remember you saying that it's basically a universal horror film um, just packaged with a lot of songs. And it really is where it's Which the monster. Didn't see. I didn't see for about three viewings. 
you know, first viewing, you just watch this movie and watch this every second viewing. And then third time, you're kind of, because you're not, you know, you're not paying the attention to kid is. I'm just sitting there going, wait a minute. Now she's like f- chased off to, to a castle, castle. And, then, and she's a monstrous thing. And, you know, it's weird. <laughs> with, a, with a power that she's scared, she's yeah. going to evoke on people. It's literally like a werewolf tale of like, I'm going to change and go like sinister at some point. I have to lock myself away in this gothic cathedral. And so, yeah, a lot of them really do function like that. So, kinder trauma. And I mean, I look back and think like the things that messed me up as a kid, and they are shockingly a lot of them Disney movies, like The Black Hole, Watcher in the Woods. Um, Dark Crystal was not Disney, but still kind of fell into that same category. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff Henson was doing. Yeah, let me let me just pitch uh, Black Cauldron for anyone. I just talked about <laughs> on, on the other podcast, Pure Cinema, but I hadn't seen this one, but I'd heard. It's kind of legendarily scary, and it is crazy. Like, my five-year-old watched about 40 minutes, and they just looked at me, goes, too scary, and he walks out of the room. <laughs> and, and, and it's because Tim Burton's first gig was like, be, you know, he just left school and went into this, and there are sequences where it's like scary Skeletor guy with an army of the dead, and it's but it's classic animation Disney. And it's just they it was not a hit for them. It was yeah. like but you watch it now, it's it's really worth tracking down if this is where your interests lie because you'll be like, Wow, that is too messed up. Like it just goes a little too far and mm-hmm. it's missing fourteen minutes of stuff that apparently is just crazy that they had to cut. Oh. So, you know, it's so it's interesting that they were always pushing that line which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, Disney, I mean, even just um, last week when they announced that we had photographed the first ever black hole, I immediately was like, I'm going to get a screen grab from the original black hole because I remember that in the original, it literally ends with a demonic robot in hell. <laughs> and literally, that is where it ends is they are in this red landscape with dust swirling all around and fires burning. And the guy, the, the protagonist looks up on the hill and there's just this behemoth of a robot with literal like Satan horns coming out so you're supposed to perceive Satan and they're clearly in hell what the fuck is this kids movie <laughs> so yeah we'll, we'll slap the Disney title at the start of Event Horizon <laughs> for the next generation just see what happens yes. like fingers crossed <laughs> alright last question since we're at the chat film fest if you can go back in time and like 10 year old you or you know whatever age you were where you started like really getting to movies those, those formative years what film fest, like, what would a film fest look like if you were in charge of it, again, in those formative years? That's a tough question. I, I don't, uh, well, I don't know about film fest, but I, I would not trade my Fangori Weekend of Horrors experiences for anything in the world because I was about 15 years old when I went to the first one in New York City. And uh, again, I, at that point, I was just an, a weird kid. There was no internet. I couldn't find other horror fans. Nobody at school really liked horror movies, but I, my brother took me, my older brother. And that first show was just like, and by the way, when everyone signed for free. So I literally have photos of me at 15. I met Kane Hodder, Doug Bradley, Clive Barker, uh, Robert England. Um, I think Bruce Campbell was there that year. Uh, Robert Zadar, the maniac cop. I, I mean, like... Every at the peak of like sequelitis and like when all those characters were at their that they're most popular, they were all there, happy to meet people and sign. And I'm like, oh my god, there's like a lot of people. So much so that the next day, I had I had um, uh, two friends of my family. They were like 16 year old girls that were staying with us from Argentina, like looking at schools. Like I snuck out and I'm like, we have to go to this horror fest again. It's happening today. It's Sunday. It's still happening. And we did. We snuck out. That got them so excited. <laughs> and it's like I needed I needed some somebody older than me to take me to this thing. Um, so for me, it was just like I I can't trade that. I mean, I don't know what film festivals were like in the 90s or whatever, but 
Fangor, the early Fangoria Week in Ahars were so magical. And it was because everybody was there. Everyone was celebrating. Tony Timpone was hosting. Michael Gingold was showing trailers. Those are the days where, like now, you know, Star Wars trailer drops. Everyone's talking about it, like, at, at nauseum within five minutes. But you couldn't see trailers unless you got there early and they did the trailer reel for a half hour before the show started. It was your first chance to see trailers for all the upcoming movies. And it was just amazing. So, I don't know. I was going to go back to early Fango Weekend Horrors days. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a weird answer, but horror musicals, because, I mean, if 10-year-old me is truly curating a film <laughs> festival here, um, if I think about what I was watching then, it's The Worst Witch with Tim Curry, horror musical. It is um, the, um, oh gosh, what, Teen Witch, um, horror musical. It is, um, there were other ones, Hocus Pocus, horror musical, and even a lot of the Disney stuff. And so this is definitely what I was watching at 10. Um, Return to Oz would definitely be in there. And I will also add in all the Lost Boys who are going to follow me around all weekend because they're dreamy as fucking maybe a couple <laughs> of the folks from Near Dark. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, well, I don't know about 10, but um, like... In, I, I, growing up in New Zealand, I got really lucky because we didn't have, we don't have any repertory screenings, so there's no theater that played old movies at all. Uh, we didn't have access to Fangoria. We had the magazine, but we didn't have these conventions or anything. But what we did have is this maniac who's still around now. He's got a new movie coming out, Ant Timpson, and he. So this is more like when I was 19, 18, 19. Uh, it was called the Incredibly Strange Film Festival, and it was every year for I think he did it for about fifteen years, and he must have started it when he was really young. But he. He has all these prints and people like all these people who trade prints, and he would bring in thirty something films every year, and it was the craziest fucking shit on earth. To this day, I haven't been able to track like it's things like Love Butcher, uh, Curious Doctor Hump, uh, Psyched by the Four D Witch, Candy Snatchers, uh, some Fulci. There's often a twenty four hour thing. I saw some of the craziest shit on thirty five. You know, in context with this program that was like Joe Bob, it would do all the things like how many boobs, how many snake bites, <laughs> and he, but he had little symbols for everything. So you would study this thing and your your imagination as a young person will go wild because you see like crocodile bite and like headless thingy and you're like what is going to be the movie and, and I'll never forget Psyched by the 4D Witch because I've, I've never seen it again but it was said to be the worst film ever made. Isn't that the one that like Manson yeah. watched obsessively? Yeah. The, the, the story that I read in this guide that Ann Timpson put out was that this is the film, the only copy of this film was found on the ranch okay. after the Manson murder they found in a trash can the reels of Psyched by the 4 and it's like a kind of bad Al Adam some ish, you know, acid trip thing with a witch. And it's almost not even comprehensible. But I wanted to see that movie so bad because of the write-up. And I'm sitting in the theater going, wow, I've now seen the worst thing ever made until, until the next worst thing ever made. But it, it stays with you, right? And also has a great song. Uh, she comes from the belly of the devil bitch, so beware of the 4D witch. It's kind of amazing. Uh, you should seek it out. It's a good oh song. Gosh. But uh, that festival was like magical. And so that, that I would love to see that recreate. I kind of wish he was still doing it. He, he kind of stopped doing it at a certain point. Um, that and the only other thing I would love to see in a festival, and I, I experienced it once, it wasn't hard and I'd love to see a horror version was uh, and it was something I guess Ebert did he would go to film schools he came to my film school and he uh, showed Susan Kane for three days and what happens is the whole thing is he just pushes play and anytime he thinks there's something interesting he pushes pause and starts talking, right? And so sometimes it can take a day, sometimes it can take four hours, and, and sometimes he farms it out over three days. 
and it is like I went from going, yeah, that's a pretty good movie. What's overhyped? So he's number mm. one. To going, yeah, there's never been a technical accomplishment even close to that mm. movie after he after living through this guy who loved it so much. And I'd love to see someone and do like a five hour thing of here's Suspiria, and I'm going to pause and you know, not Argento obviously wouldn't be able to do it, but I think something like that at a festival would be a really cool way to break down, really deep dive into a film with somebody who really knows it you know yeah, like that sounds incredible yeah like chainsaw massacre i think if you had the right person would be a great one for that if they really like if they were there like the sound recorders <laughs> the guy who shot terrorvision he would be great to be like i'm gonna tell you the truth behind it anyway those would be some cool festival thing i i want to go to all of those festivals <laughs> <laughs> that's why we've lasted this long is because we're all quite different yeah, that's true. <laughs> So just ideas for Chris for next year. Uh, well, thank you again so, so much for agreeing to uh, be on the podcast. Thank you for where, having us. Where can people find you as if they don't already know? Um, I'm not cryptic. I'm Rebecca McKendry <laughs> on Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, and Instagram. I'm at Ryan Turk, and you can just pitch directly <laughs> to bloomhouse.com, email pitches. I, I'll greenlight most things. I'm just like, I'm kind of an open minded dude. Uh, no, I'm just at Elric Kane on whatever Instagram, Twitter, the places. Uh, I'm uh, Icons Rob G on, I think that's my, yeah, on Instagram. everything Instagram, Twitter, the whole jazz. And then we're Shockwaves Pod on Twitter mm-hmm. and Shockwaves Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. So follow us there. And if there's anyone out there listening who has not listened to Shockwaves, do that immediately because I've only uh, been been listening recently. Like I've only started, I don't know, maybe the last few months, but I love it so much that like it is one of my go-to. And like I'm not just saying this because you're in the room, but Pure Cinema, Shockwaves, and Junk Food Cinema, like those are my three go-tos every time that I have something to listen to. You're not listening to Just the Discs yet? (sighs) Come on, man. Just the Discs. Look. All right, just going through Carpenter episodes that took me like a week to get through so i I don't make it through most of the pure cinemas i try you listen to one i I listen to i listen to one in completion and i'll start the others the only time i finish them is on my road trips to arizona because i have six hours in the car that's when i but i do love the show and i love brian yes they're great people Mm. brian's okay (laughs) (laughs) he does all the work All right, that's been it for this episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. the Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. the Chimerican. And remember, kids, go listen to Shockwaves. They're amazing. Thank you. I'm the Ulrich Guile. I, w- I want to be a Guile. <laughs> Please be a Guile. Thanks, guys. That's fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to do yeah, this with right. us.